This week on the Tech on Tap podcast, we continue on tap nine month with our software defined storage solution, On Tap Select. We'll also cover the new SAN improvements in On Tap Nine. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi, Glenn Sizemore, and Sully the Monster. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. On Tap Nine Month is still going on. It's been a long month, hasn't it, guys? I don't know if I'd call it long. Uh, it, it's it's been a month. Yeah, it's 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 not cold. It's not hot. Well, it's- I mean, long as in, man, we've been we've been at this a while. And really, it's a positive thing because there's so much stuff to talk about. Okay, now that's the kind of long you're trying to get down with. That I can get behind. It's a good long. I'm I'm still trying to figure out where you have been that it hasn't been hot. Yeah, where have you been? Have you just been inside your house in an air-conditioned room? Well, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, from where I'm sitting right now, it's a beautiful sunny day. I can see the, the, the sky. It's bright. It's nice and cool out. Is it not cool outside? <laughs> no. No, it's not. Ugh, Glenn. You, you need to get out more. That's really what it comes down to. I get out all the time. I, I go in my garage. I get in my car. I go somewhere. I get out of my car. It's... This is weird. We have we started out without actually introducing anybody. Uh, this is your fault. Again. I know it is. All right. So Glenn's on the phone. Hi, Glenn. Andrew's on the phone. Also, he's not in the studio. Slacker's working from home. Say hi, guys. Hi, guys. All right. Slacker's working from home. Yes. Slacker's working from home. Because that's a slacking thing. I'm, I'm so, I'm so you're, mid-90s. You're just jealous because somebody <laughs> had to know. physically be in the studio to hit record. I am so jealous. You got me. Guilty. All right. Um, on tap nine month this week we are featuring two things. Um, first, we're featuring on tap select, and then we're going to feature some of the sand improvements in on tap nine. So in the studio, as well as on the phone today, uh, we have on the phone Peter Scoverup. So say hello, Peter. Hello. Thanks for having me. Peter, tell us a little bit about what you do here at NetApp, and um, if we could get in contact you with uh, any th- sort of social media like Twitter, and if not, an email address. Um, I'm director of product management focused on our software-defined solutions. Um, uh, the best way to reach me is just uh, via email, standard uh, NetApp email. Uh, my last name is Skorup at NetApp.com. Uh, probably should spell that. It's S-K-O-V-R-U-P at NetApp.com. Is that a Swedish name? It's actually Danish. Danish. All right. I was not close at all. Good enough. Yeah, good, good enough. Same, same general area of the world. Also here with us in the studio is Mike Peppers. Mike Peppers, say hello. Tell us a little bit about yourself. And also, I know you have a Twitter. I do have a Twitter account, uh, FLI guy, or you can reach me via email, mpeppers at netapp.com. So FLI, what is that? Foreign Lund Import. Oh, Foreign Lund Import. We'll have to talk a little bit about that. I'm sure there's some good stuff in ONTAP 9 related to that. So we'll get to that. Um, One of the biggest buzzwords out there or biggest hot thing out there is software-defined. And because of that, ONTAP, of course, needs to have their own software-defined solution. So Peter Scover is going to tell us all about this new and improved software-defined solution called ONTAP Select. Peter, tell us about it. Um, tell us why we went from Edge to Select, if you could. Sure. Yeah, I have to warn you up front first. Um, I have been known to talk about this for hours, so if I get going, stop me. Um, okay. The, 
background for this is that uh, NetApp has had a product that was called Untap Edge for a couple of years. Um, it had some limitations around it, and we have come out, or we are coming out, with a new product as a part of Untap 9 that really uh, eliminates any of those limitations and greatly expands the reach of our software-defined solution. So, think of uh, Untap Select as a whole new generation of software-defined solutions based on the experience we had with Edge. Uh, we think we have a, a really strong product with ONTAP Select that allows you to operate ONTAP data management on commodity hardware. And that's really what the software-defined solutions around ONTAP is all about. All right, so you mentioned commodity hardware, you mentioned software-defined. Some people don't actually know what software-defined is, so let's go ahead and define that for them. Um, so sure. If, if we're doing ONTAP Select, what, are, what exactly are we doing? How would I start it from scratch? So, um, software defined is all about being able to run a data management solution uh, on top of generally virtualized platforms. And so, what that means is you have commodity hardware, you have a hypervisor uh, of your choice, and then you run data management on top of that. Of course, your hardware platform is some type of x86 platform with a bunch of storage underneath it. And from that point on, this looks a whole lot like the ONTAP that people are already familiar with because it's the same data management, it's the same feature set, it's the same storage efficiency, it's the same experience that you're used to from ONTAP. But in this case, running on top of a hypervisor as a platform and underneath that hypervisor is a commodity hardware platform. So what kind of hyper hypervisors are we supporting off the bat? So that's one of the, the big changes with this uh, new generation is that we are going for a multi-hypervisor platform. And so for the initial release, uh, we are planning VMware support and KVM uh, with further expansion of the supported hypervisors coming in subsequent releases. Glenn, there's no Hyper-V there. Ah, it's fine. What? Not quite the, yet. The, the, it's something that's coming. Uh, wait a minute, Glenn, are you okay? Yeah, no, that's fine. Everything, the, everything cool. Did did just Andrew just eviscerate you the last insight with your Hyper V versus VMware? Well, let's actually talk about what this product is and the type of market it's aimed for, and then I think we'll figure out the rest for ourselves. Yes. Let me take you through some of the thinking around why uh, NetApp is introducing ONTAP uh, as a software-defined storage solution. Um, basically, there's a set of, of paradigm shifts as we get into software-defined. The first one is around flexibility. So having a data management solution, a storage system that runs on top of a virtualized platform opens up uh, to a broad range of hardware and it really gives the end users a complete new level of control over the solutions that they're building. And so think about it, now you are choosing the computer that you're running on the server, you're choosing the memory, the configurations, how you're really going to deploy it. So many people think about that flexibility as being around consistency in your data center, being able to use what you already have. It gives a bunch of benefits in terms of deployment around it, in terms of spares, in terms of capacity. So that's the first point of what this brings to the picture. Second uh, paradigm shift that really gets introduced here is around agility. So all of a sudden, assuming you have commodity hardware in your data center or wherever you're deploying, deploying a new cluster 
based on ONTAP with all the features is something that suddenly becomes very, very quick. And so think about it as maybe deploying a new cluster in 10 minutes, something that's unheard of. And so therefore, you're uh, thinking around uh, deploying a cluster and how you use it. In general, the behavior patterns is going to change and it's going to become more convenient towards what you need. Think in a DevOps situation where each um, developer has their own cluster. And it's something that, that doesn't necessarily live for five years as uh, it's more traditional around an appliance. So Agility really comes in and gives some of those cloud-like attributes, but for an on-prem solution that the end users really control themselves. With those attributes comes also a different ownership model. And so because you're making the choices around the hardware, because you're making the choice around the hypervisor, you're also taking ownership over that platform at a level that you haven't necessarily so far with an appliance. So that's one of the big differences is that as a user of it, you own the decisions, you have the flexibility, that agility, but there's also a level of ownership that comes with software-defined storage. And so um, those are probably some of the big attributes around it. But for NetApp, what this really is about is expanding the reach with ONTAP. And expanding the reach in the sense that uh, this is the first time that we have a, a serious enterprise class product that goes into the direct attached storage market. So being able to provide the ONTAP feature set, the benefits of it, the uh, operational aspects of it in a commodity world where it's direct attached towards is a significant expansion and it's a, a significant part of our data fabric vis vision where we're really trying to expand the places that ONTAP can run as an endpoint yet still give you that consistent experience. So that's the, the background for NetApp entering into this market and why we're so excited about it. So with ONTAP Select, um we could actually look at our small, medium business markets a little more closely because, I mean, those those are kind of the markets that were, I guess, tentative to buy full-blown clusters. Now, with something like ONTAP Select and the ability to use commodity hardware, that makes it more of a reality for them, wouldn't you say? It suddenly changes it. And if you start looking at the buying experience and how this product is really configured, in particular around the low end, is that you start out with one terabyte and you increment the solution in one terabyte increments. So um, you start addressing uh, maybe remote locations, uh, maybe ruggedized computing, a, a number of specialized applications, but in general, that lower end space where ONTAP as an appliance may not have been a strong player, but with ONTAP Select, all of a sudden you open up for a new way of thinking around using ONTAP. You call it enterprise level. So um, in Edge, I know we only had a single node, right? So what is it? how does ONTAP Select become enterprise here? Good question. So uh, the big change compared to Edge is that ONTAP Select provides the same availability that you are familiar with on a ONTAP Fast system. So same experience as appliance. We made a number of deliberate decisions around this. One is we wanted the experience to be the same. So from a CLI perspective, from a architecture perspective, from a uh, learning curve perspective, we wanted everything to be the same. So HI comes across very much like um, a HA pair solution 
and you get the same HA experience between those two pairs. So same failover, um, same takeover, give back approach, but on a commodity platform. Uh, and you do that instead of using engineered hardware for it, you're actually using what we are describing as rate sync mirroring of IP. And so like many other software defined solutions, instead of having shared disk ownership, you operate in a shared nothing storage world. And so that means you have copies of the data. So the two HA partners have a copy of each other's data through rate sync mirroring. And we simply make sure that Though we implement it differently, the experience for the user is the same. And so with HA, we protect against hardware failures, meaning the commodity server. We protect against the hypervisor failure. And we protect against an untapped failure. So it gives you a full stack protection. Um, and so in order to do that, we have minimum cluster sizes for the HA configuration. But overall, it's about providing that same experience and that same availability that our users are used to. So, Peter, so you're talking about remote access and, you know, smaller businesses and just, so it, why would I want to use Select versus a FAS other than, you know, the, the smaller business concept? So let's say I'm an enterprise organization and I'm not using it for remote. I'm not using it for, you know, a small, medium business scenario. I'm using it for something enterprise level. So when would I use it in an enterprise environment? Yeah, so Untap Select is really set up for both the remote location or robo, as we may describe it, as well as data center. And so it isn't necessarily about where we deploy Untap Select versus FAST. So there are some users that have made a strategic decision to go to software-defined storage as their future direction. And Untap Select addresses their needs in the sense that it is a data center solution. It provides that enterprise grade and it, it provides the full Untap feature set, such as replication through Snap Mirror, et cetera, et cetera. What it also does is it allows you to scale in a way that you haven't done so far under remote location. So it's very typical to see a combination of the appliance and ONTAP Select. So think about ONTAP Select as maybe being the robo solution. You have a couple of hundred locations. It could be your grocery store. It could be your, your uh, local gas station, whatever it would be. And they all have this centralized backup uh, control solution where you use SnapMirror to replicate back and have the safety of that, but you have a very distributed storage network that you're controlling centrally. So there are many ways to think about how to deploy ONTAP Select. It's not really about FAST versus ONTAP Select. It's about what makes the most sense for the end user. It makes most sense in terms of the strategy and also in terms of ownership. So it's more of a solution-driven thing as opposed to trying to drive a solution into our product. It's certainly a big part of it. And so it's the solution aspect and the flexibility that you get uh, in that picture being the data fabric. Okay, so we talked about commodity hardware and being able to install this on pretty much anything. I'm assuming there are qualifications. I'm assuming that we have things we have to test. So... I am guessing I couldn't go pull out my old, you know, Dell Inspiron laptop and just install ONTAP Select and call it Enterprise, right? There are some restrictions on what you can run, but the overall philosophy around it and direction we're going is to try and open it up as much as possible. 
of course, you need a minimum kind of spec of server so that you have enough horsepower and enough memory for it. Uh, but other than that, we're really looking at this as a matter of opening up as broadly as we can. Peter, what is that minimum spec? Uh, so that minimum spec is actually already posted out on our field portal and people can go look at it there. Um, if you go search on untap select, you'll actually find the data sheet that, that goes through it. But it comes down to number of cores, memory, and a rate controller that's needed for it. And so it's, it's relatively simple, x86 servers, um, that is, of course, compatible with your hypervisor of choice. But other than that, it's general compute requirements. So do you happen to have those on hand? Because uh, our audience isn't always somebody that has access to Field Portal, and I'd like to go ahead and give them that information if we could. The minimum requirements that we're looking for depends on the model of ONTAP Select you're going to be running. So as we launch the product, we're introducing a model that's called Standard. It requires four cores, and it requires 16 gig of memory, and it has a particular requirement around the rate controller with a write-back cache in it. Other than that, you can pretty much pick any machine um, that is in the uh, later versions of the Intel processor family that can run this. Cool. So pretty much anything that's server server grade, right? Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah, the, the, the only the, the only thing in there uh, is the fact that we do need a battery backed RAID controller, and that RAID controller does need to be on the HCL. That's correct. Interesting. Okay. All right. So on tap select, how are we going to price that out, and what sort of tiering offerings do we have? Yeah, so uh, the way we structured ONTAP Select is that um, from a buying perspective, you're making two decisions. You're making a capacity decision, as I talked about a little earlier. You start out at one terabyte in one terabyte increments. You can add on um, capacity at a later time. So very flexible in that sense. From a performance perspective, which is the second vector that you're really deciding uh, when buying the product, is uh, about locking into a performance tier. And for that, we have different models of the product. We start out with a standard model, and we are following up with a premium model. And you should expect to see additional models in the future, each of them uh, currently identifying a performance tier. The best way to think about it for users that are already familiar with FAST is probably around what the equivalent FAST system is for this. So a standard instance of untap select is closest to a FAST 2552 in terms of performance. It has the same configuration in terms of CPU and memory as the appliance does, and therefore the performance is going to be pretty close to that. There's a little bit of overhead of doing a rate sync mirror over IP, but in general, think about it as that being the performance tier. And so, two decisions you make when you buy, capacity and performance, and that's really what the only decisions you have to make. Everything else from a licensing perspective is included. So all the features that you're familiar with in ONTAP as a uh, add-on license or build-in functionality in ONTAP itself is included in these models. So if I have a four-node ONTAP select cluster, is my performance going to be better, worse, or the same as a two-node? If you have a four-node cluster, it's really about doing the equivalent in FAST. So this would be the equivalent of a four-node FAST at the 2552 level. So you're getting a kind of a node-to-node equivalent. So in a four-node cluster with ONTAP Select, you should expect to see the same performance as a four-node 2500 series cluster. Okay, so all these uh, ONTAP Select hypervisors are running on the same hardware, or are they running on 
different hardware. So is it is it ONTAP Select per hardware, or am I able to put four on a single hardware? So the way you install it is essentially a instance per node. The reason for that is that you want to get the full availability. If you have a failure at the machine level, you have the failure at a hypervisor level, you want that to be protected. And so to deploy that way, you have one instance per server itself. So it's a one-to-one mapping to get the HA model. So we talked about performance versus capacity. So how are we how are we making this simpler to buy for people? So we've really been focused around that. No licenses, no features to deal with. It's all about performance and capacity. So to make this simple, uh, if you uh, look at the, the US price list around this, um, you're really buying just the terabyte at the performance tier. So let's say I want a standard configuration. I want 20 terabyte. I would literally go in and buy 20 terabyte of standard and I'm done. Um, and so from a pricing perspective, we think this is a very attractive solution. US list price around it is around $259 per terabyte. So a very interesting solution in terms of pricing, but also in terms of how simple it is to buy and plan for. Hey, Peter, that uh, 259 per terabyte, is that 259 per terabyte of usable, effective, raw? What, what is the metric there? Yeah, excellent question. Um, so the way that we measured in a software-defined world is raw capacity under management. And so people already uh, always ask me, well, what does that really mean? And what is raw disk capacity? Think of it as the hardware platform, the commodity server, has a RAID controller. And we expect that you set up the disks in a RAID 5 or 6 configuration. And so out of that comes a, essentially the equivalent of a LUN that's exposed to ONTAP. And that is the raw disk capacity that ONTAP sees and therefore is measured on. And so the capacity that you license when you purchase a product is really uh, that amount of capacity that you have under control, and that is an enforced limit. There's no difference between a HA configuration or, for that matter, a single instance of the ONTAP deploy. And so what that means is if you buy 20 terabytes of capacity, um, whether you set that up as a single instance, a single node without HA, or whether you buy two nodes with each 10 terabyte of capacity on them and configure them for HA, we don't really care about that part of it. It's up to you how you want to deploy the capacity you have. Got it. And that capacity is eligible for all the storage efficiencies as well, right? So ONTAP, ONTAP Select supports things like compression and dedupe. That's correct. It's the same uh, storage efficiency features that you're familiar with on a, a standard FAST model. Um, the difference here being that you have an extra copy of the data. So because the HA model is around shared nothing storage, meaning there is no disk ownership that can change between the HA pairs, you need a copy of the data. And that's very common in a software-defined solution. You have copies because you assume commodity hardware with no special connections between them. Therefore, there's at least one copy of the data, and that's how we operate in ONTAP Select as well. So you need to consider that the partners are saving a copy of each other's data set. Does that count against our one terabyte? It's raw disk capacity under management, so it whatever you end up using for the copy of it is counted against it. So if you wanted 10 terabyte of usable capacity, you would buy 20 
on each of the nodes and set it up in an HA configuration. It's all about having two copies to make sure we have consistency. I guess, I'm guessing they're mirrored at all times? They are mirrored at all times. It's a rate sync mirroring. And so um, anything is persisted on both nodes before we acknowledge any transactions to make sure that we always have that enterprise level of availability. Nice. It, does the 4 to 1 capacity for efficiency guarantee still apply with ONTAP Select? So uh, the 4 to 1 uh, capacity uh, or storage efficiency um, offering is all around the AFF personality. And so the AFF personality does not kick in for an ONTAP Select. Uh, that's that's reserved for the appliances. But overall, the storage efficiency solution and the, the tools we have in place uh, are the same. Sounds good. Thank you. With installation, how, how easy is it to install? Is it simply a, a like an OVA file that I'm going to spin up kind of like our simulators were, or is there more to it than that? There's a little bit more to it than that. Uh, we, we focused a lot around simplicity and consistency across different hypervisors. So we're actually including uh, with the ONTAP Select a installer that's called ONTAP Deploy. And the ONTAP Deploy is just a VM that you start running on your hypervisor infrastructure. It will then collect a set of information from you in terms of what servers to deploy on, IP addresses, things of that nature. And after that, it really just automates the deployment all the way up to you have a running cluster. So we try to focus on around the simplicity uh, of deploying a ONTAP select cluster. And we try to focus around having this either in data centers or at remote locations, but where you have connectivity to it so that you can do this centrally. That ONTAP deploy installer comes with a CLI where you can control it. It has a, a very simple REST API that you can integrate into your private cloud management platform. Uh, and we will also be shipping at GA a GUI front end uh, that will allow you to control this directly. But it's really about uh, collecting the information that we need around uh, the ecosystem or the, the deployment scenario that you're trying to drive towards and then try to automate all the steps around that. Once you have a cluster up and running, uh, the standard ONTAP management tools comes into play. So it's the same SAPI, it's the same API, it's the same management tools all the way through. So everything that you use today for a ONTAP appliance will directly apply to a ONTAP select deployment as well. So how long are we talking about in minutes or hours or days of deployment? How long does it take to set up? So we're trying to uh, strive for a 10-minute setup of a four-node cluster to get up and running after you collected the information. And so that's, uh, that's our goal with it. Uh, we're looking forward to see some of the data coming back from customers as they start trying this. Do we have many customers trying this in EVP right now, and what, are this, what is their general reaction to it? We do have an EVP ongoing, and um, as you know, the, the release of the product in the form of RC1 is imminent. Um, so the, the feedback around uh, EVP has been great, a uh, lot of interest around it, and uh, it's been interesting to see how people think about a software product and what they try to do with it. So it's for sure a experience where people think about it much more broadly and more flexible and, and try to do different things with it. So the, the feedback has been interesting. 
Uh, so far, the experience has been great in terms of availability, in terms of testing HA out on it, um, the capacity that it supports, the computers that it's running on. So, so far, so good. But clearly, we're looking for more feedback uh, from users. Yeah, it's funny. Um, you talked about the 10-minute setup, and Matt Watts actually has a, has a great comment on overall setup, speed, and simplicity. And his comment is, you don't set up a tent over and over and over again. So... I would question um, your statement a little bit around you don't set up a cluster over and over again. That behavior may change a little bit with ONTAP Select. So absolutely there's going to be a set of users that treat it the same way and, and with the same kind of life cycle as an appliance. But there's also going to be a set of use cases where a cluster is something that comes and goes on a very frequent basis. And so think about it as a, a test or a dev scenario where you only may need a cluster for a couple of hours or something like that. You may just take the approach of literally remove the cluster and destroy it once you're done using it because it'll be that quick to build a new one. Um, so the, the behavior patterns around this probably will change, at least for some users. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I hadn't really considered the use case scenario of DevOps and developers trying to stand up and tear down things, right? So th there is that particular use case where setup does matter. Very much so. And it will be interesting to see how people apply that kind of new um, attributes around the system where you really can deploy it very quickly, where the deployment is very automated. All right, Peter, so I'm going to ask the customer question. Um, why would I buy ONTAP Select versus FAS, and is it going to save me money? So that's a good question. I talked a little bit about the ownership. So when you get into software defined, you have a different ownership. You have a different ownership in the form of the flexibility and the ability to make choices on your own. You also have the responsibility of the ownership of the platform if something goes wrong with the hardware, if something isn't working correctly with the hypervisor. But that ownership, of course, requires some kind of incentive. At the same time, this is not about competing with FAS or putting select against FAS. Both solutions make a lot of sense. They make sense in their own deployment scenario. It really comes down to choices of, do you want to deploy software-defined? Do you want to take that ownership? And do you have the right drivers behind it? The drivers could be, I'm trying to deploy 300 locations with two terabyte. It's simply too expensive to deploy fast, but I very much want on tap, and I very much want the snap mirror functionality to give me that centralized backup function. So it really is about the deployment scenarios, about your strategy, within a software-defined world depends on where you want to go. It's not a necessarily a matter of one competing with the other. It's a matter of some people will make different choices. If you want NetApp to make sure that your solution is working, make sure that your problems are solved, the appliance is probably a better choice for you. If you're willing to take that ownership, want the flexibility and agility that comes with it, or have use cases that drives that, then software-defined storage may just be the solution for it. So it's not one or the other. It could be the combination. It could be uh, that a particular solution makes more sense for your particular deployment. Mike, what, do you, what did you want to ask? I was curious how support worked with ONTAP Select. Does it work the same way uh, as it would if you bought a 2552, for instance? It works very much in a, a similar way. But of course, the, the difference here is that NetApp provides the support around ONTAP Select. 
um, if you have a, a disk that failed on the platform, uh, that's really a responsibility between you as a user and the vendor of that server. It's not something that we get involved in. So from a pure ONTAP perspective, it's the same support. But when it comes to the platform and the hypervisor, it's a different ownership model. And therefore, the support doesn't cover that. So uh, it's a different uh, delineation of where the support goes to. But overall, the support within ONTAP is the same. Okay, so basically you get best effort almost on the commodity or we just send people on their way to the to the commodity hardware vendor after we ruled out the software our support focus is going to be around the software itself of course there are gray areas where things overlap and and it's not always going to be clear up front um so there are a number of ways that we look at supporting this we will have a community where people can ask questions and help each other we will have our normal support offering around the product and um, support is a part of the overall offering with the product itself and therefore um, you can be confident that you will have support around tap select but you have a different ownership if you want NetApp to to take care of all the hardware and any of the infrastructure around it then the appliance is your better choice um, so ownership around a software-defined model is different it's a different world Basically, the Spider-Man with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> with, with commodity that's hardware much it. Comes, comes your own support model. All right, cool. So that's, that's interesting. ONTAP Select sounds like a very promising software-defined solution for us here. Very much so. We look forward to it. And keep in mind that as we post ONTAP Select, um, you can go download it and play with it uh, from the now side. It will be available. It comes with a built-in eval license that gives you 90 days with two terabytes. Um, let us know how it goes and what you find. Excellent. So you have an eval edition that we can play with. And that's great if you're just trying to learn ONTAP in general, I would think. I'm, I'm, I'm actually curious about that. How would a non-NetApp customer go about getting a now account to evaluate on tap select is that a pathway that is that something that we do so uh, if you don't have access to the now account get a hold of uh, an account uh, manager and they'll uh, they'll get uh, on tap select to you in an email form uh, it's it's very simple to get to so we really try to to make it easy for both NetApp customers and non NetApp customers to get to it you simply just uh, click through on a EULA and off you go. Peter, thanks so much for stopping by. Again, Peter Skovrup, uh, Director of Product Management. Peter, how do we get in touch with you again? You can get to me via my email, uh, skovrup at netapp.com. That's S-K-O-V-R-U-P at netapp.com. Peter Skovrup, thanks a lot for joining us and talking to us about ONTAP Select. We talked about ONTAP Select with Peter Skovrup. Now let's talk about ONTAP 9 improvements with SAN with Michael Peppers. Hi there. What is new in SAN and ONTAP 9? We have been working on an initiative for a while now uh, around all-flash business processing. This would allow you to set up uh, mission-critical uh, applications and provide them with very high-performance, low-latency, and consistent performance by using best practice uh, recommendations as well as uh, SAN-prescribed configuration that is going to be coming out in a brand-new TR very soon. So is this the, uh, the AFF template stuff? It is part of the AFF. It's partly that. Uh, the AFF template stuff would actually take that into account as well. The AFF template stuff is another initiative, uh, Simplicity. 
So with simplicity, uh, with uh, ONTAP 8.3, you started to see System Manager built in on box. Uh, simplicity takes it a step further where when you bring up uh, System Manager, uh, one of the, the items that you're going to see is called application provisioning. And underneath that, you're going to have a number of applications that you can provision from scratch, uh, including uh, Oracle, Oracle Rack, SQL, uh, single instance of SQL, uh, VMware, and VDI environments. Uh, the benefit of doing that is, is, is that you have approximately 10 questions that you need to answer, and once you've done that, you're going to get a best practice. And when I say best practice, I mean both vendor and NetApp uh, uh, best practice recommendations, implementation, and uh, to steal uh, the, the same thing that Peter said earlier, in about 10 minutes. Your, your entire SQL environment from uh, the storage perspective is ready to go. Okay, so in 10 minutes, I get all the best practices consolidated for me rather than having to go connect the dots and find everything all over the NAL site, right? You get that. You get your LUNs masked properly. Uh, that, that What you're going to be left with is, is, is you're going to have to do some zoning and then uh, basically attach your host and go look for new SCSI targets and mount those LUNs. Can it also make me breakfast? Uh, that's going to be in the next release. Okay, good. It's a, it's a waffle feature. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I couldn't <laughs> help myself. Oh, man, that's pretty good. Some other benefits that you're, that you're going to get if you go with all-flash business processing, which, as I said, there is a prescribed SAN configuration, and that is going to prescribe uh, that you have certain configurations and applies to certain limits. But if you do that you will get, among other things, something called fast failover, something that we're pretty excited about. Fast failover uh, says that in a planned failover, so when you do a takeover from one uh, HA pair partner to the other, uh, that will happen in 10 seconds or less. In unplanned, uh, you're looking at 15 seconds or less. And so that's pretty amazing. What is that down from? So what was the original time frame we'd, we'd expect from a non-tap failover? Uh, I remember that back when I was in QA, we would write uh, bugs for 120 seconds. Interesting. Now, is that, so, is that failover on the storage side, or is that failover with the application in mind? That's failover on the storage side, so it's measured from the storage. Keep in mind that each of your hosts has a different stack, none of which we own. However, in testing that we've done, we've seen about 70% or so of the uh, uh, Red Hat, Enterprise uh, Linux, and ESX primarily, as well as some Windows Server. We're seeing about 70% uh, failover in under six seconds uh, in a planned and under about eight or so seconds in uh, unplanned. That is, and what I'm talking about there is this I.O. resume on the host. Excellent. So what were some of the problems before? Like what was holding us up and getting us the 120-second failover times? Well, you had a lot of things around uh, having to replay logs and basically find out exactly where you were. Uh, did you have I.O. that had been uh, saved and was in NVRAM uh, but had not actually been written to disk, things of that nature? Uh, also, just the, the much higher latency that you're going to see from non-SSD disks. So what have they done to improve that? So why is it so much lower now? By curating uh, your configuration, by doing things like managing the, 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 some of the limits you have in terms of number of volumes or LUNs that you have per node, 
uh, some of the uh, configuration choices you have. By doing that, we have allowed failover. That is one controller to uh, take over from another one very much faster because it has to go through a lot fewer objects and make fewer calculations on those objects. Is there anything new in foreign line import? Uh, the one thing that is new in foreign line import uh, with 9, and actually it was new with 8.3.2, is, is, is that if you have AFF, you can use uh, foreign line import, but you have to use it. Uh, you have to have a PVR to to do that. What? I was getting ready to make a joke about FLI and AFF. What was the joke? The joke was that you needed a PVR. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Let's talk about that. Why do we need a PVR for that? The reason that you need a PVR is this is because FLI leverages FlexArray, and FlexArray is absolutely forbidden on AFF. The reason that FlexArray is forbidden on AFF is this is that we don't have a way to enforce what the third-party storage that we're consuming with FlexArray, uh, whether there, any of that is spinning. So you, you file a PVR, which is almost certainly going to be approved. Got and it. With that, you get a basically a double secret uh, decoder ring that you know with some instructions for how to make that happen um, anything anything else compelling everything? well so one of the other things that you're going to get if you use all flash business processing uh, and the curated configs that come with that is this is that you're going to get consistent low latency performance one of the things that we're going to talk about in the in the TR that I'm currently writing about this actually is how to set up all flash business uh, processing and how if you do that you're going to get things like fast failover but another thing you're going to get is is very consistent performance regardless of you know it, you'll see say sub millisecond uh, latencies in steady state and not a lot more than that uh, in a degraded and a failed over state is is all flash business processing a feature or is that just a configuration that, that we've given a name it's a configuration that we've given a name. Basically what it is, is, is it is a set of best practices as well as curated sort of configuration choices. Are these best practices automated or do I have to go through the TR to apply them? It depends. If you bought the controller, if it was ordered as a FC SAN optimized configuration from the factory, then it would show up on your dock and would already be configured as that. You Now, of course, you could make a change that would change uh, you, where you would be outside of those uh, the configuration parameters. There also is a plugin that comes with Config Advisor that allows you to check to make sure that you are, in fact, uh, uh, current and consistent with the parameters. I'm going to ask the jerk face question. Why doesn't it just come like that with all the, con the controllers? Uh, well, so for instance, one of the things that is going to be specified is, is, is that if you're doing SAN, that you don't have any uh, NAS protocols. Yeah. And so that would be one reason why you would not want to ship all uh, controllers that way. Also application-based, right? So Oracle, SQL, you don't want to have, you wouldn't necessarily have the same best practices for all application stacks, right? Uh, no, these, well, you wouldn't have them per stack, but these are a set of sort of blanket best practices for SAN, in, for NetApp SAN in general. Then when you actually install a application, an Oracle or a SQL or something like that, you're going to have best practices associated with that. If you use the system manager uh, application provisioning templates, then you will get those by default. Okay. Yeah, th th this is basically like our response 
to the, the, the criticism by some that, that there's too much configuration um, because there's two ways to take that criticism, right? You could look at that and say, well, yeah, we've got too many. There's too many options in here. We should get rid of these. And let's, let's take the ones that are the most applicable to the vast majority of our customer base. And those become the ones that we keep and you get rid of the others. But the thing that I think people forget is those settings aren't there because we thought it was fun. Those settings are there because we have an account somewhere in the world that needs it, right? So the, the way that engineering is trying to combat this problem is with some of these prepackaged solutions. You know, the fact that you can now order data on tap controllers that come from the factory, completely optimized and, and configured for block experiences, you know, allows us to give those 10 minute stand up times and very rapid time to values to, to customers. Uh, whilst also giving them a system that that is ultimately optimized for that workload and for that use case. Now, granted, you know there, there are some trade-offs there, as as Ben just stated. You know, if we if we're going to do that for SAN, that means that we don't use NAS protocols. So basically, we have a curated solution and a lot of simplicity around being able to. Uh, implement uh, SQL or Oracle or a variety of other things, and there will be more, more applications that will be added over time. And so that is in response to that. It, in fact, is specifically in response to some of our uh, new entrants into the storage industry and how simple they are to set up that you can you know, rack and stack and five minutes later you're serving data sort of thing. And yeah, so that is what that's it, for. However, we still have all of the knobs. Yeah. And so if you have a specific use case that requires X, Y, or Z, you can still do that. You're just going to be outside of the, the all-flash business processing curated solution. And so some of the guarantees that come with that are going to be missing, like the fast failover, for instance. You know, there, 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 there's a saying that... that um is is popular amongst uh, redneck racing in the United States. You know, yeah, he's fast, but he hasn't hit anything yet. Uh, basically, just saying that everyone starts off fearless, and then you get in a bad wreck and learn that that uh, you know there's a reason to hit the brakes every now and again. Um, yeah, your product's simple; it doesn't do anything impressive yet. I, don't, I just don't care. Like that's not a real problem. So what's great about the whole factory optimized thing is that it probably doesn't require a whole lot of effort on our part. I mean, we can automate it on the back end. We have full control over that whole thing. And then it's probably a lot easier than sending a PS guy out every time to do it for you anyway. So it actually, it's, it's incredibly simple because what's going to happen is this is at the factory. You're going to run, uh, well, the factory is going to run some scripts, uh, which are going to provide IP addresses, set up uh, the appropriate lifts. Uh, create an SVM and basically get you to the point where you're ready to create volumes and LUNs using the provisioning template, and then you're off to the races at that point. And so it's, it is pretty nice from that perspective. Chances are you probably will be changing the IP address that you're that you're getting out of the box, since it probably will not match your current environment. But that's about it. That's pretty easy to do, though. Yep. Anything else there? We got any any other cool sand stuff? Did we cover it all? I think that that's the, 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 the bulk of it. The other big thing, and this is going to be in the same TR, <laughs> TR4515, by the way, is going to include a section on using headroom uh, in order to size. 
so that you make sure that you would have consistent performance. By doing that, what's going to happen is, is, is that you potentially give up some of the, the absolute top-end performance that you would get in steady state in order to be able to have consistent performance in the event of a, of a fault and going into a failover. So headroom, let's talk about that. I mean, we covered it a little bit in the previous podcast, so if you could cover what headroom is for the listeners who haven't heard those. So headroom, the, the, the concept of headroom, the idea is, 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 is that you have a controller pair that you have a certain amount of performance available from it. Uh, headroom is the amount of performance that you have left. So you have the amount of performance that you're currently using, let's say 40% of the performance that is available from that controller at a given latency target, say one millisecond. That's fairly common. That means that you would have 60% of your performance still available. So you could place an application and, and properly, you know, Put it there, put it uh, on the correct controller, as opposed to having to, you know, sort of take a guess and hope that that's the right place to put it, and if not, have to figure out what you want to move in order to make sure that you have appropriate resources so that you are getting proper responses for the application that you have. Oh, and it's completely dynamic, so headroom is going to show up uh, as a graph, and it's going to show you how much uh, processor, disk, all of the subsystems you're actually using. Uh, versus how much is actually left at a given latency point. And that graph's in System Manager? Uh, that graph is in Performance Manager. Okay, so OPM? Yep. So I'm, I'm guessing that's it then. Not a whole lot more to it with the SAN stuff. Uh, so Mike Pepper, thank you for stopping by to tell us about the new things SAM-related in ONTAP 9. You're very welcome. And could you, could you tell us what your Twitter is again? My Twitter is guy. NTAP Fly Guy. All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netapp.com or send us a tweet at netapp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher or via techontappodcast.com. If you like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap podcast team and Peter Scovrup and Mike Peppers, thanks for listening. How you guys doing over there? Oh, yeah. Good, man. Yeah? Yeah. Sunny, sunny days? It's, it's yeah. It's, Chasing it's, the clouds away? It is still a beautiful day in North Carolina today. It I'm is. Just, I'm, I'm sitting here in my office looking out the window just like, God, I want to be on the other side of that glass. But it's, it's a nice day. It's, out, it's probably have, hot out there. It is warm outside. You have not been outside. It is obscenely humid and hot. Well, it looks nice. It's very nice on your side of the window.